welcome to the Cold Dive. I'm Lucas, aka Corona Kirby, and this is the place for musings on technology, cryptography, and whatever else is going through our mind. So today I'd like to talk about some things with uh, snarks, in particular comparing and benchmarking snarks. So over, I guess, the past you know couple of months, I've been diving relatively deep into snarks and comparing, you know, different systems and trying to figure out how all of these things work internally and how all of the systems compare to each other. So you can sort of see my perspective here as like a somewhat new person to the field trying to figure out, you know, what the state of the art is and what things are achievable if the current proving systems we have. And one frustration I've had is that it's it's difficult, first of all, to compare everything at a high level. Like there's no central table where you can compare the different characteristics of various snarks. There are like a few small tables that have been floating around, but I feel like these have gotten somewhat outdated, especially with you know recent advances. And sort of each new paper that comes out might have like a partial analysis of how it compares with other systems, but this isn't done systematically. So some papers have no comparison whatsoever. And even among the papers that do, there's no consistent choice of what benchmarks to use or how to run the benchmarks. You know, it's often not even clear where the benchmarks were ran or on what code because sometimes for a system, there might be several implementations. And so which one you use to benchmark does sort of matter. And this sort of makes it difficult as someone trying to use snarks in an application, because what you'd want ideally is to be able to compare the different trade-offs of various systems, maybe do a little bit of modeling to say, okay, I need to support this kind of circuit. Uh, really, you wouldn't think of circuits, you'd think of applications. So I need to support this kind of application what kind of proving time would I be looking at? And I guess another sort of difficulty here is often it's, it's hard to get an idea of how expensive certain things are in terms of a circuit. So when you, when you do snarks, you have to arithmetize things. So you need to transform your computation to be structured using sort of fuel elements and stuff like that, which is the kind of computation that a snark would, would expect or work with. And here, depending on what constructions you use, you have more or less overhead. For example, there are hash functions designed specifically for fuel elements, which are much more efficient and that they yield fewer constraints compared to, you know, classical hash functions that operate more of a, a binary setting like, you know, SHA or something like that. And so because of this, it's, it's also kind of hard to find high level comparisons of how expensive various constructions are. So it can be sort of difficult to kind of prototype and, and sort of model in advance how expensive certain things are going to be. And it's important to be able to do that because you want to avoid like having to create and commit to like a whole bunch of concrete proving systems and designs for your application before you know what that's going to cost you. Because you might save a lot of time by figuring out that certain approaches to structuring an application are going to be too expensive or that if you, you know, tweaked it in a certain way, you get an application that's much easier to prove. You'd have much better performance. 
So I guess those are kind of the leaping point for this episode, uh, exploring <laughs> my frustrations a bit, uh, a bit more in detail. So I guess let's dive a bit more deeply into like the comparing snark thing. So one first point of comparison, which is sort of important, is at a high level you can compare. There's sort of like three main metrics for a snark. You have the proving time, you have the proof size, and you have the verification time. Now, whenever you look at at sort of a quantity like this, there are usually two ways to analyze it. One is asymptotically. So here you're just looking at how fast something grows. So maybe the proving time grows with, you know, the square of the constraint size, number of constraints, or which is roughly the size of the computation you have. Um, with SNARKs, you have the overhead sort of from compiling your program into this arithmetized constraint form, but that's sort of orthogonal to the SNARK system you end up using. It's important to consider that, and I guess we'll talk about that later in the podcast, but for this discussion on systems, I mean, that overhead is sort of baked in and you can't do much about it. And the question is, once you've arithmetized your thing and you have a set of constraints of a certain size, you know, how do different systems handle that? Anyhow, so you might describe the performance in terms of prover time or proof length or verifier time asymptotically. So maybe I say, you know, the verifier runs in login time based on the size of uh, the circuit. And maybe the proof size is logarithmic or maybe it's, you know, the square root of n or something like that. Usually, for something to be considered a snark, you need at least square root of n, because if it's a linear proof size, that's not very succinct. One natural issue with asymptotic complexity is that it ignores any kind of constants. So if something grows, like maybe proving takes exactly 100 times the length of the circuit in seconds. Well, or maybe like something takes one second per constraint versus one minute per constraint. You know, these are very different, but asymptotically they're the same because the way it, it scales is the same. So if I double the proof, the, the circuit size, I get, you know, twice uh, the prover time if it grows with the O of N. So another thing that you might want, and it's probably more useful, is to have a notion of concrete complexity. But then there you sort of, if you just want one number, you'd sort of need to set a size, all right? And which size to, to set is kind of tricky. So instead, what, what people usually do is they, is they pick a few numbers and sort of give you the proving time at that point. And one thing that which makes comparing systems difficult is that it's often, you know, not clear exactly what code was used uh, or, you know, on what machine the benchmarks were run. People usually kind of fuzzier about this. And... I guess one main difficulty is that also a lot of papers, if they do any kind of benchmarking or comparison at all, it's maybe to a few other systems and there's no kind of systematic benchmarking. There's no like systematic table you can look to easily compare systems and that, that kind of aggregation of knowledge is, I think, one of the main things that's missing. And also like the asymptotic complexity can hide a lot of, you know, subtle details, like there are certain operations which like asymptotically may be worse 
Like maybe it's in log in instead of in, but you know, concretely it's much more efficient. And so it's it's kind of difficult also to sort of get like orders of magnitude for like different subcomponents. So like a lot of protocols will require, you know, fast Fourier transforms to do, you know, faster polynomial multiplication. And this is in log in in principle, but it's actually, you know, not that bad. What makes it tricky though is like it's sort of memory bottlenecked in some sense. Because you have these operations which need to sort of cross cache lines when you're doing a Fourier transform. So you need to like operate between two elements essentially on two different sides of an array at the same time. And so that's you know crossing a cache line boundary, especially if a very large array. And then there are also like another metric, which it's bad for all of the snarks, so there's not much comparison now, it's like memory usage. So usually with most snarks currently, like you have to sort of fit an object that's like linear, at least in relative to the size of the circuit, and you have to fit that whole big thing in memory. So for very large circuit sizes, this actually starts to be an issue uh, where you have you start running out of memory at some point. So that'd be another metric on which uh, to compare things. And another thing which makes uh, comparing these systems uh, difficult is that uh, often they they make other trade-offs in terms of like what abstraction they sort of provide. So for example, snarks have various levels of setup. I mean, this you can sort of mark as like, you know, I say this snark is per circuit trusted setup or just universe or trusted setup or no setup at all or a transparent setup. And so that's like, you know, one way to compare them. Uh, the issue is that like, unlike other metrics, it's not clear how this is like fungible or exchangeable. Like, is a trusted setup worth 50% faster prover time? <laughs> is a trusted setup worth 50% smaller proofs? Uh, it's a question that's going to depend per application, and I think each application might be able to answer that for themselves. But once again, well, usually with trusted setup, it's sort of easier to see at a glance if you just read like a, the abstract of a paper what where it falls into. But once again, you're sort of lacking this systematic classification of snarks, which would be useful. But one thing which makes comparing snarks even harder is that sometimes a snark will not will require a specific form of computation that's kind of structured. So if you take uh, Starks as in the specific protocol by Ben Sesson and other people, uh, with that protocol, you need a computation which is sort of like a repeated computation. So it works stark arithmeticization with the algebraic, I forget what it's called. It's, it's The acronym is AIR, A-I-R. It's like algebraic intermediate representation or something like that. I don't think it's that. It's like, anyway, there's, a, it, there's an acronym about it. But basically the way it works is that you have like sort of this execution trace and what, what enables the verifier to be succinct is that you're you're checking the same thing sort of at each iteration. So like at each iteration, I check the same constraints. So that's useful if you have like a machine and it's evolving through time. And so if you have like a CPU or something, like the CPU is sort of applying the same transaction function at each step. It's just moving, it's just reading in different data, which causes it to change its behavior. And it's like the bytecode of the program. But otherwise, like the structure isn't changing. And because of this repeated computation, it enables like succinct checking with the techniques that Stark uses. But you do need to assume that you have like this repeated structure 
in terms of your computation. And so with n place, it's sort of hard to compare Stark to other systems because you have this extra like constraint on what, what you can do. Um, other other stuff like some of the sum checky the the protocols based on sum check like work well if the circuit is wide but not very deep so they work well if you're doing like computation that's essentially parallel so like i'm doing a lot of stuff at the same time but if it's very deep that that costs you and i guess uh this is sort of sort of because to explain i guess i'm, ex I'm explaining this now uh this is because they use something called the gkr protocol and the way it works is like you do sort of multiple sum checks and you need to do a number of rounds, which is based on the depth of the circuit. If you just sort of apply this naively. And this means that sort of in each, in each, in each round, you sort of get a logarithmic reduction in terms of the width. So the verifier only has a cost based on the logarithm, the log of the width of the circuit at that layer, but they have to do like one round each sort of layer of the circuit. So have a, a circuit that's very, you know, short, but fat, that's fine. Because, you know, each layer is fat, but that gets, you know, reduced by the log, so I don't care. And it's short, so it's 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 that many rounds. But if it's tall and skinny, that's bad. So if it's tall and skinny, well, I'm not doing, I'm not getting much an advantage of the log reduction in terms of the, the width, because it's skinny. But it's very tall, so I have to, like, do all these rounds. So that's that's why that's why the sum mini sum checky protocols like need this this structured thing i think hyrax is an example of this one where it needs it uh, there's like this series of papers is like hyrax and then spartan and stuff like that i think spartan removes the this constraint i'm i'm, I'm sort of uh, you know moving my eyebrows down to reflect the fact that i'm not sure and I, i'm not sure that that comes across through my voice so i'm not sure that I cited the correct names, but I'm, I know that there are protocols which have this limitation. Anyhow, so you have limitations in terms of the structure of the computation that you have, so that makes comparing systems quite difficult. And I guess one, next last thing I'll, I'll mention, which is probably the most pernicious difference I've seen, uh, which is that the security parameters often like subtly different or changed in benchmarks. So basically the security parameter sort of tells you how difficult it is to create a fake proof. So proof that, you know, a proof that, that will verify correctly despite, you know, the data being wrong or the computation not having been carried out successfully. So that's very bad. So at the basic level, this is the same concept in terms of like the security and bits for other cryptographic schemes. So like with encryption, you sort of have this notion of security parameter, which essentially dictates how difficult it is to break the encryption or how difficult it is to forge a signature or signature scheme, which is basically sort of the same concept as forging a, a snark proof. And, you know, traditionally this was at least 128 bits of security, which is, I think, a, a very good number. And 120 bits is large enough that it's, it's basically never going to happen. Like nobody's ever going to break 128 bits. Um, Sometimes people use 256 bits too. Uh, I think that's excessive. But what's interesting is that with snarks, and, and obviously, naturally, the larger your security parameter, the more work you have to do. And usually snarks, I think, have a linear dependence 
on the security parameter, at least in terms of proving time. Usually in terms of proving time, at least. Sometimes, sometimes it's complicated because sometimes, sometimes the only reason why a snark is, is like sometimes a snark becomes hard to forge just by virtue of the field you're working in being large. So sometimes like you have uh, what we call a soundness error. So that's like how the soundness error basically tells you how likely it is that you'll be able to create a fake proof just luckily. And the idea is that if I can create a fake proof with a bit of luck, then with a lot of work, I can sort of try many times. So if like, so if we're like 128 bits of security, you'd want the soundness error to be at most two to the minus 128. So then essentially the idea is like, I need on average two to the 128 iterations to, you know, get, get lucky consistently. And so where was I going with this? Yes, yeah, so we have the, the soundness error. And yes, so with some snarks, I, I, I got the, the thing. So with some snarks, the soundness error just depends on the size of the field, basically. So it's like the size of the computation divided by the size of the field. So often you have something like that. And so often the field like happens to be large for like other constraints reasons. So sometimes the field is like 256 bits or even larger because you need like the field to be the field of scalars for some elliptic curve, which has pairings. So a lot like Grout 16 has this, this thing going on. And you know, if you use like KCG as your polynomial commitment scheme that uses pairings. So like you need a large elliptic curve for that. And that makes the scalar field like 256 bits. And so then often like, your soundness becomes like really good without much work on your part. So, and, and you're kind of like stuck using a huge field. So like, there's no opportunity to like try and reduce the soundness because like, you know, you, you kind of get a very sound protocol for free. But uh, I guess one, one place we had more liberty was in like, this is outside of the field of snarks, but with like interactive ZK proofs, they, they sort of started reducing the security parameter because it helped with, well, it, it, if you reduce the security parameter, it gives you better benchmarks because you do less work. And often like with MPC in the head stuff and like the interactive variants of that, like there's a very direct correlation between the security parameter and how much work you do. Like if you bump up the security parameter, <laughs> it means adding like more work. So if I like double the security parameter, uh, then I like double or even triple the work I have to do. So it's very noticeable and you can sort of get a huge advantage from this. And also like the reasoning is that if you think of like an interactive proof, which is actually run interactively, if there's any kind of like soundness issue, I sort of have to exploit it like then. Like I have to somehow like do all of the work to get lucky at that point in time and there may be like a, only a small time window for me to do this work. So it might be okay to sort of bump the security parameter down because uh, this this proof is gonna be very short-lived. Like I'm convincing someone in the moment, but then, you know, once the interaction has happened, there's no artifact left. Like I can't, I can't convince someone in the future. So like, there's no point in like doing a bunch of work in advance usually. So I have to like do all of my expensive work. I have to like, my supercomputing cluster and like 
deploy it at that specific moment. Whereas with a non-interactive system, like you're, you're sort of free to like spend a year creating this this proof forgery and then deploy it to attack some system. So it's much a very different setting. But then I feel like the, the low security parameter thing kind of spread to non-interactive proofs because with MPC in the head, like some systems were able to be made non-interactive because they happened to be public coin. And then to compare with the interactive systems, like it was only fair to use the same low security parameter, even though it didn't necessarily make as much sense in the non-interactive setting. You can still argue that like a lower security parameter might be okay if like the proofs are like bound to a specific uh, context. For example, like let's say you're using proofs for some kind of blockchain system and like a proof is only valid for like a, a certain epoch, like maybe for like the next 20 blocks, you know, you can submit a proof to do something, but you know, it's only valid for the next 20 blocks. So then I'd have to like somehow like forge the proof in this small time frame. It's relatively larger than the interactive proof situation, but it would still maybe you could you could argue that maybe a reduction in security parameter might be worth it uh, in that case. Fair enough. But this makes, you know, comparing protocols quite difficult. But also like in Starks, like I've seen not to harp on Starks too much, but this is a good example of this. But they they use, I think, two to the 80, or at least I've, I've read people say that uh, there's this good Thayer post, Justin Thaler uh, blog post on this which I'll link in the, the show notes. And so basically, Starks use two of the 80, or 80 bits of security. And I think this is a bit more unrealistic in their situation, because, like, if I... based Essentially, they have sort of this roll-up system on Ethereum, and in that situation, it's not really, like, epoch. So you'd be able to deploy work in that way. Also, one difficult thing when comparing, like, security parameters is, like, the nature of work is kind of different. So like with Starks, one technique they use is called grinding. So essentially, if you just look at the security parameter of the protocol verbatim, it's like 48 bits. But then the trick they pull is that in each, essentially each phase of the protocol, you're also required to do a proof of work based on the protocol. So the proof of work is correctly bound to the execution of the protocol. And it means that basically the, the prover, essentially to each message they send as part of the interaction also attaches a proof of work of 32 bits. So this makes essentially forging a bad proof, you know, 32 bits of security harder because anytime I, I, I try and do my forgery attempt, I also have to do these proofs of work, which are bound to that specific attempt. So like I can't reuse them in a different attempt. So th mathematically th this does check out and it does, you know, on paper give you 80 bits of security the issue is more so that not all bits are equal in some sense. So if you look at the 32 for the proof of work, it's calculating a bunch of hashes until you get lucky. And calculating a bunch of hashes is a problem that has been industrialized because of Bitcoin and stuff like that. So if you like, for example, we'd use the exact same hash as Bitcoin, you could use all of the mining hardware or release it, you know, for your attack. So you can compute all these hashes, you know, in a massively parallel cluster. And so those bits of security are in some sense not as useful as the other bits of security, which have like more specialized operations, which aren't asyncable. And, you know, maybe maybe not even be parallelizable because sometimes depending on, well, usually with this forgery thing, it's, it's always parallelizable since you can just, you know, 
if you just take sort of the naive algorithm where like you need to get lucky, this is parallelizable in the sense that like I can have a bunch of computers trying to get lucky and just one of them needs to be lucky. But the lack of ASICs, so specialized hardware for computing, you know, the hashes does make some bits of security not equal to others. Because if my bits of security are like, you need to do two to the, th to the 32 hash operations, well, there's ASICs for that. So a hash operation is not equal to other operations. So that's sort of a subtlety there too. And that like, even if two systems compare bits of security exactly, uh, that might not mean the same thing. So I guess to summarize, what makes comparing papers difficult is that, uh, you know, you just have asymptotic comparisons. Uh, you might have ex concrete proving times, which is good, but maybe they use like different constraint systems. Uh, some of them might require structured computation. Some of them might re require trusted setups versus not, and that's hard to, to compare. Uh, and it's also sort of not clear like how these systems were benchmarked and what exact code was used. Sometimes some systems don't even have code available to benchmark. And some of them don't even bother benchmarking at all. So that's sort of the, and also you have, you know, the security parameter thing. So that's the sort of uh, state of affairs we have now. And I guess one proposal, if you can call it that, is I think it would be nice to like have a standard aggregate of information about snarks. So you have like a table where you can see what kind of setup you have for the snark. See the asymptotic complexities of proving proof size, verification, and you could also, you know, compare, you know, what arithmetization it uses. So at least you'd be aware if there are like constraints on what kind of circuit it has. And then one thing, neat thing you can do is let, let's say my snark scales with like n log n, but I want to know like the concrete cost of that. So what would be the most useful actually is not just like getting a few data points, but actually creating kind of a model. So like if my asymptotic complexity is n log n, I can sort of model this concretely as if you give me a circuit of size n, the concrete cost in terms of you know seconds or milliseconds, whatever you choose the unit to be, is going to be some alpha times n log n. And so I could determine this alpha by choosing different constraint-like instances. And I guess a fair way to do this is just you choose sort of random instances. So with RNCS, that's a popular constraint system, your instance is given by matrices, so you can just choose random matrices, and that would work out. So if you pick some random matrices, you know, maybe you could benchmark your snark on that, and then you'd get a model of the, of the scaling curve, basically. So like, then to be able to extrapolate even to instances which like maybe don't fit on the machine yet, or like are, you know, going to be very expensive, I could say, oh, you know, if I had, you know, an instance with two to the 40 constraints, it would take two days to prove, you know. And that would be very useful because it sort of would let you compare different systems at a glance just by sort of looking at the asymptotics and this alpha parameter, which gives you sort of a, a concrete scaling factor. So that's sort of essentially the constant hidden away in the big O. Of course, uh, this is more difficult for the snarks, which need like a separate structured computation thing, because then it becomes difficult to like compare instances between snarks with different arithmetization stuff. Also, you might argue that the random instance isn't realistic, which it really isn't, because most most instances of like RNCS are like heavily structured and usually oft often are very sparse. Um, I don't, I feel like there must be snarks exploiting the sparseness, either philosophically or concretely. Uh, 
But yeah, in the future, if Shinarx like concretely exploit the sparseness in a certain way, you know, the random instance benchmarking might not be the, the greatest idea. But this is sort of like comparing different arithmetization systems in some sense. But even if you just had a table where it said, you know, this is the arithmetization system it used, so compare this with a grain of salt, you know, at least having all of this information in one spot would be very useful. And sort of related to that, you know, as an application builder, this gives you an overview of the different systems, but one, you know, major component is that you probably have more control over really, because like, if you're building an application, you're probably not equipped to create a new proving system, or really that's maybe not be, that may not be the best use of your time either. What you do have much more control over is like what the computation it is you're trying to prove. So for example, you might be able to change which hash function you're using to have one that's better suited to, to snarking. So it'd be a good idea to have also a sort of a centralized place to compare like orders of magnitude or maybe in concrete constraint costs of different things. So like maybe I'm wondering, you know, if I have a Merkle tree with, you know, two to the 16 nodes, how long would it take to like open, open a path in that tree with this specific hash function or something? That'd be the kind of thing you might use in an application, and you might want to compare like different ways of implementing an abstraction like that. So a Merkle tree, you can think of it as like a vector commitment. And so you might want to say, okay, you know, different openings of vector commitments, how do they compare in terms of, you know, constraints? Or like, you know, maybe different curves, like how do they compare in terms of constraints? Because like a lot of cryptographic primitives have been benchmarked, like in terms of how long they take to run on CPUs. So we have numbers that are good for that. Even then there's like, not even good tables to compare like cryptographic primitives at a, at a glance, but it's a different topic. But it'd be nice to have like a central repository of like, you know, rough order of magnitudes, constraint sizes for different things. Because then as an application creator, you could say, okay, well, you know, maybe if I structure my system in this way, I can avoid this super expensive operation. Because like, it's often much easier to tweak what you're trying to do in your application or like how you're trying to do things rather than, you know, creating new innovations in terms of encoding stuff into constraints, uh, you know, explicitly. Like it's much easier to sort of change which hash function you're using than to invent a hash function. <laughs> so yeah, having a centralized, you know, structured place for information about snorks and how to arithmetize stuff would be very useful. And I feel like we have a bunch of like good resources, like have like we have essentially like this nice constellation of you know cool research stuff that's been done, and the aggregation aspect of it is kind of lagging behind. There are there are like high level aggregations that kind of list a bunch of other resources, but I feel like there's this missing kind of intermediate gap of like structured information for like the working professional trying to use snarks. I feel like that's sort of a gap. It wants to be filled. And uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I guess the natural segue would be maybe I should be the one to fill it. Uh, I guess I might end up doing this if I if I have time someday. But it's actually, you know, quite an undertaking. Uh, I'd be grateful to anybody who is working on this or might even want to collaborate. Because it would be very useful to have centralized structured information about Snarks. But it would take a lot of take a lot of work to undertake because like a lot of this information is sort of spread out among papers and then also 
I think the biggest difficulty is going to be concretely benchmarking snarks because there's sort of no, it's going to be difficult to track down implementations of snarks, first of all, because a lot of stuff just isn't implemented. Ideally, the way it would work is that when you write a new snark paper, you'd also use a standard benchmarking suite or something to sort of add your number to the table. And that would, you know, that, that would be how, how stuff works because you, you just, everybody, it, it, you sort of had like constant work as each author of their new system would add to the benchmark themselves. Trying to hunt down, you know, all of these snark systems and implement them yourself and benchmark them is, is, is a lot of work. And I think one interesting thing that, that might happen with a standardized way to compare snarks is that you have, I guess, a faster innovation cycle. In the sense that if it's easier to compare snarks, it's also easier to sort of objectively determine that certain system is better among along certain axes. So like it would provide an incentive to innovate because it's it's a lot clearer that you've created a, a better system. This kind of happened with elliptic curve stuff at some point in the late 2000s, where like, you know, there's sort of this benchmarking game where like people tried to find elliptic curves, which, you know, set speed records in terms of how fast they were to implement. So once you had sort of concrete metrics and people sort of agreed on standard ways to benchmark these things, you had a lot of innovation because people got found very clever ways to accelerate this stuff. Right now, there's a lot of, of work in terms of making snarks, you know, concretely much faster, uh, but this is usually done for like the internal needs of a team trying to make some application. So you might be, to be able to sort of decouple this and create sort of more public good innovation here if you had sort of open competitions to do stuff. I think the idea of like, Ziki snark competitions is a, is a good one. And I think we'll probably talk about that in some other episode. Because there's a lot of interesting stuff to dive in there. In terms of like how you structure a competition like that and like different prizes you might want. But I guess that's sort of a good point to stop here. Hopefully someone someone does uh, look into like standardizing information about benchmarking snarks and comparing how difficult certain constructions are to arithmetize. That'd be a real godsend. But until then, this was The Cold Dive, and I was Lucas, and thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.